with them the next time they went so that I could see this remote area where they were trying to start a Christian school. Um, It wasn't my first place to go, but the Holy Spirit moved me to that point, and I went to Pocot and went to a place where there is basically nothing. It's sub-Saharan climate. Um, there's, there's, it's very difficult to grow food. They, Pocot, have livestock, but it's often difficult for them to find water for their cows and goats or to find grass to feed them. It's a very, very difficult place to live. It's a harsh place to live. And what we did initially was we started a Christian nursery school and had four classes to teach the children um, ABC, how to read and write, and how to learn about Jesus Christ, who had died for them. Uh, The parents asked us to please continue, and so we added a grade school. And we now have three nursery classes. We have eight primary school classes, and we have around 750 kids coming to school every day to learn about Jesus, to learn how to write English and to spell so that they can come up in Kenya. Um, the, as time went on, it became apparent that that wasn't the only thing that COPE was needed to do. And so we added a dispensary where we give out medicine, we provide free medical care, not just to our students, but we also provide medical care for the community as a whole. Um, I went there begrudgingly, to be honest. Um, And the Lord moved my heart when I began, when I met these children. You saw pictures of just now, and you heard from some of the children. Those are my kids. They live in my house. Um, uh, Out of that group, two are AIDS orphans, and the others I have been abandoned by parents. They're basically, they were throwaways, and somehow the Lord brought them to me. And so they have had an opportunity to go to school And they had an opportunity to tell you that they have hope for the future. They have hope that there is someday going to be something better for them besides cows and goats and living in an area where there's there's very little. Mm -hmm. Um, Our mission has, uh, we started doing evangelism. Uh, The Jesus film has been translated into the Pocot language. And so we, I bought a TV and a VCR And we take the Jesus film out uh, twice a week. We go out to communities, and we're trying to go farther and farther away from the mission to touch more lives and to give more people an opportunity to hear the gospel, to hear Luke's gospel in their own language. Uh, We take the, the Jesus film out, and for any given night, we may have 200 to 500 people who walk from their homes to come so that they can hear the message about Jesus. When we first started doing this, I was overwhelmed. This is a group of people who are uneducated. Our illiteracy rate in Pocot is 92-94%, and so the vast majority of people there cannot read, they cannot write, and all they know are their traditions. And to take the Jesus film out, And to have people say to us after, I didn't know that Jesus could speak Pocot. (laughs) I didn't know that Jesus knew about the Pocot. Told me that our mission was huge. Was huge. Our mission is to take the message of the gospel 
to an unreached people, to an uneducated people, and to a very marginalized people within their own country. We are in the northwestern part of Kenya. We border on Uganda. Uh, it's a very insecure area because we are so close to the Ugandan border. But God has worked so hard and continues to work so hard to bring about change for these people who need to know Jesus as their Savior and need to accept him as their personal Savior. It's a slow process. It isn't something that's going to happen overnight. But our job, yours and mine, is to pray and to plant the seeds and let the Holy Spirit harvest. Amen. Barb shared during our Bible school hour in the fellowship hall, and we had over 100 down there. And um, if you want more information about the Cope Mission, uh, Susan Klein, Leslie Gavush, uh, Becky Glenn from our church are all actively involved, and I know you appreciate them very much. They would love to tell you more. I do want you to say a word about the jewelry that is set up in the foyer. People may be wondering when they walked in today, what is the jewelry about? Tell that story. Um, there's no way for someone in Pokot to earn money. Uh, these are people, as I said, who aren't educated. And so when I started going there, when I first started going there, I would see the women with rings and with necklaces, traditional kinds of things. And so I started a small cottage industry. And th what you have out in, outside is the result of that. The women make rings and necklaces and, and they make baskets and all kinds of different things that they have slowly by slowly learned how to make. And I bring them back here, and people like Leslie and Susan and Becky, God love them, take it on and sell it. Every piece of jewelry has a tag, and on that tag is a number, and that number represents the woman who made the piece of jewelry. That money does not go to cope. That money goes back to the woman who made the jewelry, so she has some money to feed her family, to pay school fees for her children. If someone gets sick, she has money to buy medicine. So I would encourage you to stop and look, and it's not a shopping spree. You're not buying jewelry for you to wear. What you're doing is you're supporting a woman who's trying so desperately to support her family. Creating jobs as well. She had to run for Congress, you know what I'm saying? There you go. Well, Barb, we're really glad you're with us. Just in closing, and again, Barb will be around after the service if you'd like to talk to her. What can First Christian Church do for you? What do you need from us? I think the most important thing that you can do is to pray. To pray for the Pokot people. To pray for the leadership in Kenya, which is, is so incredibly corrupt. The Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is, is very busy. He's working very hard. Please pray that the Pokot people as individuals open their hearts and open their minds to the works of the Spirit and accept him. Um, we always need money. Uh, we run on a month-to-month -month basis. This is not a a mission that, you know, we're getting money from the Gates Foundation, although if anybody could work that out. <laughs> um, we run on month to month. And so when I went in January, uh, we buy corn. We feed the kids breakfast and we feed them lunch, and we buy 90 kilo sacks of corn. When I went in January, one 90 kilo sacks of maize was around 2,700, 2,900 shillings. When I came back in May, it was 5,000. So the cost of just feeding the kids has become exorbitant. But if we don't feed them, they have nothing. 
because their parents can't afford to buy food. We have kids who have lunch and breakfast on Fridays and go home and they have nothing else to eat until they come back on Monday. So financially, we've had to cut back on other things we do because of um, the need to keep feeding these kids and the cost is becoming so difficult to maintain that we've cut back. We aren't buying school books and things like that anymore. So your financial support is always welcome. And we did take up an offering during the Bible school hour. Over $800 was raised. And if you would like to partner with that, we would love to accept a check today. You can see myself or Leslie or Susan after the service. Barb, thanks so much for being with us today. Show your appreciation to Barbara Dunham. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Yep, yep. That's an amazing lady, and I'm so thankful that we are uh, able to partner with her in this wonderful, wonderful work. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. Um, we are in the midst of uh, just a two-week study. This is week one today. Next week will be week two, looking at one of the most famous parables of all time, the parable of the lost son. Some have called it the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And go ahead and grab your Bible or a pew Bible and turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at this um, Today we're going to look at one son, and next week we're going to look at the other son, and we're going to see what conclusions that we can draw from this parable. I have an observation as we start this morning. Here's what it is. This most famous of parables, I believe, speaks to each of us one way or another. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're here every Sunday, or I don't care if this is the first time you've been in a church in a long, 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 long time. I believe this parable speaks to you one way or another. And the big idea of the parable is really this. The parable of the lost son is a study in the heart. It's the study in the heart. Now, my physical heart, I have to take care of it or it will betray me. That's why I ride my bike even though it's 85, 90 degrees outside. That's why I make sure that I don't eat red meat six days a week even though I love to eat red meat. I try to eat healthier. That's why some of us eat things like rice cakes. I mean, is that like air? I mean, we eat it because we know that, well, at least we think, that it's good for us, one way or another. And yet, our spiritual heart is just as important as our physical heart. So with that, no further ado, let's dive in. Let's look at God's Word together this morning. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father... Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. That's hunger, my friends. But no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to get to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, listen to the speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. You know, there's a couple problems with this parable, if you think about it. Problem number one is this. In the first century world, this is a very unlikely request. Very rarely, if ever, would would a son have the audacity to go to his father while he was still alive and say, I want my share. It's even more unlikely that a younger son would go and make that request because it was the oldest son that held all the power. It was the oldest son that would get a double share of the inheritance. And for a younger son to go and do this, in, in many ways he was looking his father in his eye and he was saying, I wish you were dead. Give me mine. So the first problem with this parable, logically, is that it's a very unlikely request. Secondly, It's an even more unlikely response. If a son had the audacity to go and make such a request, it would almost never be honored. More than likely, a father would cut ties at that point and say, how dare you, and send his son on his way. Maybe he would forget about the request, but rarely, if ever, would a father say, okay, son, here's your money. Go, live it up. Go enjoy life. And so when we look at this prodigal son, this son that was lost, this son that went his own way, there's really one word that comes to mind, and it's this. The prodigal son that we read about in Luke 15 is suffering from a selfish heart. He's not thinking about his father. He's not thinking about his brother. He's not thinking about anybody but himself. Know anybody like that? Anyone come to mind when you hear this story read, this parable shared by Jesus, when you see those words, selfish heart? Does a name come to mind? Can you visualize somebody? Now let me just ask you this. What's a selfish heart look like? If we were to get the whiteboard out and start jotting down a list, what's a selfish heart really look like? You might say a selfish heart consists of someone who thinks only about today and not about tomorrow. You might say someone that has a selfish heart is only concerned with their their self and they're not worried about anybody else, especially those closest to them, like family members, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, or very close friends. You might, just maybe, be able to put a name on that tag phrase, selfish heart. See, every time I read this parable, I have to confess to you, I'm conflicted on the inside. I've been a Christ follower since I was seven. I've been in the ministry since I was 19. I just turned 42, by the way. I'm getting old. 
For those of you on Facebook, I was just joking when I said 29. Just kidding with you. And the older I get, the more I see this play out. And the more conflicted I am. I find myself getting very frustrated when I see someone suffering from a selfish heart. How about you? You been there? I believe this parable touches each of us one way or another. And so as I said, this is a two-part sermon, so as we kind of just dive into it, I want to give you three lessons this morning from the pig pen. And then next week, I want to come back to the pig pen, and I want to come back to the palace, the house, and I want to see if we can tie this all together. And as I read this parable, Luke 15, lesson number one is this. I'm reminded that sin is never as satisfying as it appears. Some of you are nodding your head. You've learned by experience. Sin is never quite as fulfilling. It's never quite as satisfying. It's never quite as enjoyable as we think it's going to be. Many times, I've had people share with me, I never thought it'd play out like that. I never thought the consequences would be so harsh. I never thought, I never thought, I never imagined, I never dreamed. Sin is never as satisfying as it appears. Now, the Bible says a lot about sin. Many of you will know some of these verses, but you might want to jot them down. Romans 3 tells us that everyone sinned, but look at Romans 6.23. It says the wages, the cost, the price for sin is death. James chapter 1 reminds us that we're each tempted not by God, but by our own evil desire. And when that takes place, when that temptation takes place, we're dragged away and we're enticed. And then desire conceives and it gives birth to sin. And sin ultimately, when it's full grown, when it's mature, it gives birth to death. I think the writer of Proverbs I think he might have it best when he says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it leads to death. Sin is never as satisfying as it appears. Lesson number two, and I think we have to acknowledge this, we have to acknowledge that the lost son made the decision to make a change. Now, when I read this, i got to be honest, I beat up pretty good on this lost son, this prodigal son. I'm pretty harsh on How dare you? Who do you think you are? What are you doing? There's a lot of beating up that can be done toward this prodigal son, this lost son, this unwise child. But we have to acknowledge that when he was in the pig pen, when he found himself looking at the pods that pigs were eating, and he wanted to eat those pods, and he couldn't even eat those pods, he realized, I have to make a change. And he realizes, I've made a disastrous decision, my life's been changed forever, but I will make a change. See, the lost son realized that it was time to wake up and smell the coffee. And and I share this this morning for a couple reasons. Number one, maybe, just maybe, we we have someone with us today, and and you're saying in your heart, you know, I, I am that prodigal. I'm running away from God. I'm making bad decisions. I'm going my own way. I want you to see that the lost son in this parable had the wherewithal to say enough is enough. 
He made the decision to make a change. But far more likely than a sanctuary full of prodigals this morning, more than likely, many of us are connected with a prodigal. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a best friend, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone we've known most of our life. And the temptation is to say, they've made their bed. Now they can lie in it. I'm going to do what I can do, but enough is enough. And I just, I beg you this morning, I plead with you this morning, never stop praying for the prodigal in your life. Never stop asking God to break their heart in half. I've seen hearts change that I never thought would. And it's always a God thing. So see that the prodigal son eventually made the decision to make a change. And then the best part of the story, this is the story in so many ways, see that the love and the grace of the Father is much greater than the sins of the son. The sins of the son were pretty bad. We, we don't have details, but to squander an entire inheritance, pretty awful. But see that the love and the grace of the father, it's indescribable. It's incredible. It's wonderful. You may think of a verse like John 3, 16, where it tells us about the love of God, that God so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, will not perish, but will have eternal life. You might think of 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for me, to be sin for you, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The love and the grace of the Father is so much greater than the sins of the Son. I think my favorite author, if I were to try to peg one, would have to be Max Lucado. And Max Lucado's book from 1998, No Wonder They Call Him Savior, tells a true story that I believe is perfectly fitting when we study this parable. And some of you may have heard it, and many of you probably have not. And so I want to conclude my message with, with us this morning with these words from Max's book. And I, I'm going to read verbatim. Max Lucado writes, The practice of using earthly happenings to clarify heavenly truths is no easy task. Yet occasionally one comes across a story that conveys a message as accurately as a hundred sermons and with ten times the creativity. Such is the case with the reading below. I heard it first told by a Brazilian preacher, and though I've shared it countless times with each telling, I'm newly warmed and reassured by its message. The small house was simple but adequate. It consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red-tiled roof was one of many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of the Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter Christina had done what they could to add color to the gray walls and warmth to the hard dirt floor. An old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix. The furnishings were modest, a pallet on either side of the room, a wash basin, a wood-burning stove. 
Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. And the young mother, stubbornly refusing opportunities to remarry, got a job and set out to raise her young daughter. And now, 15 years later, the worst years were over. Though Maria's salary as a maid afforded few luxuries, it was reliable, and it did provide food and clothes. And now Christina was old enough to get a job to help out. Some said Christina got her independence from her mother. She recoiled at the traditional idea of marrying young and raising a family. Not that she couldn't have had her pick of husbands. Her olive skin, her brown eyes, kept a steady stream of prospects at her door. She had an infectious way of throwing her head back and filling the room with laughter. She also had that rare magic some women have that makes every man feel like a king just by being near them. But it was her spirited curiosity that made her keep all the men at arm's length. She often spoke about going to the city She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues in city life. Just the thought of this horrified her mother. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the harshness of the streets. People don't know you there. Jobs are scarce, life is cruel. And besides, Christina, if you went there, what would you do for a living? Well, Maria knew exactly what Christina would do, or would have to do for a living. That's why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately what she must do to find her. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all her money, and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. And knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all, and at each place she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to the corner of a phone booth, and on the back of each photo she wrote a note. Well, it wasn't long before both the money and the pictures ran out, and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her face was tired, her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but they spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet, and yet her little, her little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned, her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. It read, Whatever you have done, 
whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so the bottom line this morning, I hope, would be pretty obvious. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to come home. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your grace. And Father, I confess to you this morning that logically, I I can't figure it out. I read parables like the one we've studied this morning and the reaction of, of the Father. And I find myself saying, wow, that's incredible. That doesn't make sense. Can it be true? Is it reality? And Father, I'm reminded this morning that that's the greatness and the goodness of your character being poured out in your grace. And so I'm reminded, Father, this morning that it's never too late to say I need to start over. Holy Spirit would burn within each one of us. And then maybe, just maybe, as we live our lives and we see people making foolish decisions and we see people struggling, we wouldn't respond logically. We'd respond gracefully. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the difference he makes. Every Sunday, we offer an invitation. This Sunday's no different. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing with us. And if you need to come home, I invite you to come home to Jesus this morning. And if you're uh, living life and there's someone in your life that you're thinking, boy, I wish they could have heard that scripture read. Boy, I wish they could have heard that story from Max Lucado's book. I want to just offer the invitation to pray with you. We can do it right now. We can do it after the service. We can do it this week. Let's stand together. Be the center of our lives.
center of our lives Be the place we fix our eyes Be the center of our lives We lift our eyes We lift our eyes to heaven We wrap our lives around your life the center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives, oh Christ, be the center of our lives, be the place we fix our eyes, be the center of our lives. Excited about how we're going to be able to end our service today. Be able to see Chloe's baptism, and that is awesome. As we prepare for the baptism, I want to just read from Romans chapter 6. I think it's uh, maybe my favorite passage in the New Testament that paints a picture for us of what takes place at baptism. And Paul says this What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. And we're just so excited that we can witness this baptism. Let's pray that you bless this special young lady all the days of her life as she follows after you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Again, thanks for worshiping with us. If you're a visitor, I'd love to meet you. I'm going to be up front afterwards. Please come up and introduce yourself. And be sure to come back next week for part two of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. Let's bow, have a word of prayer. God, thank you for today and the chance to gather together as Christ followers. Bless us now as we leave our beautiful sanctuary, our beautiful auditorium, to be reminded that we're the church wherever we go, that we're um, living out your call in our lives to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and give us chances this week, even today, to live out that call. We love you. We thank you for Jesus and the difference that he makes. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.